Hey everybody, this is Ian Westhoff, and welcome to the Toy Lines Podcast. We got a great show for you today. We got Chris Fawcett uh, talking about his book about Rad Plastic. If you're a Turtles fan, you're gonna love it. Tom Romero's waiting backstage, so we're just gonna throw on a theme song, and now we're gonna start. <laughs> Tom, how you doing? All right, yourself? All right. What's, uh, what's new with you in the world of toys? Toy news. I actually attended the Toy Awards. I guess the which, which we'll, yeah, I wish. We'll be talking about that later on today. But if anything, if you were a toy company with Grogu, you were a winner. Just hands down. Lego was a big winner, too, now I think about it. Have yeah. you been watching uh, WandaVision? Love it. WandaVision is... Just keeps getting better and better, in my opinion. Um, if you're not really a Marvel fanatic like us, might be hard to swallow for the average person. But if you're into it, like you're trying to gauge, do you think you need to be tough? Yeah, really tough. I think the pro. I think because I'll be honest with you. I mean, and I I know this is sounding dumb, but I'm loving the fact that she's starting to break down. You know, I mean, this girl. She's she's depressed, and she flat out told Pietro, she's like, everybody's gone. I, I was empty. Now, you know, I, I'm maybe a sick person for, like, wanting to hear this story, but I'm, I'm invested. And I'll be honest with you, not only am I invested with her, but Vision has a great story as well. What's interesting is that uh, they're able to do this type of story because it would never work in a movie. You would never wouldn't be able to get all this in two hours or, or whatever, but as a weekly show, you're able to capture all the stuff you want to say and spread out through so many episodes and, and say, okay, I want to have a uh, Pietro show up over here in this episode. So, you know, we can take our time leading up to it. We can hint at it. I think what also what's interesting is, you know, when the show first started, everybody, myself included, was like, the show's weird. And then by like, I think episode four, when it really starts explaining it, you kind of look back at it. So I think I'm glad I've watched it weekly. Uh, I'm glad that I did say I think it's going to be better for some to binge. I think it might work well for people. I think it's going to be pretty cool to binge later on. Yeah, I can't wait to binge it all. Because um, like you said, the, the first two episodes are kind of weird. But I actually, for me personally, I think I get it. You know, she she wants a family. In reality, reality, she doesn't. She's alone. You know, so she's basically, I don't know about testing the waters to see which family suits her, but I think she wants to live an adventure and live a, live like a second life per se. So you're thinking like with wizard uh, vision, each sitcom uh, style sets out the family maybe that she'd want. Exactly. That's an interesting thought. I never thought of that. I was, I was more along the lines of where did she see these types of shows? How did you know? Like, was she maybe when she was uh during Civil War, was she just like watching a lot of TV and, and oh, she saw maybe it? she had TV in Sokovia? You know? Yeah, um, it's I like the fact that as we get now deeper into the show, and like the newest episode has had a real 90s television intro, yeah, Malcolm in the Middle, okay, Malcolm in the Middle, and even 
like Cursor explains it all for Nickelodeon fans and mm. all these different like Full House that had feeling of um, all these different shows. I like how they were able to mix different show genres and styles of their song into that one song to give you an overall feel of it. How hilarious was the 80s one when you see Vision growing up as a little child? <laughs> yeah, the baby. Yeah. And in the um, the opening, when they're painting the picture, just like Family Ties. Right. Um, and the sets are interesting, too, because I think the sets, even though they kind of like focus on that era. So like, you know, I hate the Brady Bunch, but we'll say well, the Brady Bunch, for example, it resembles the Brady Bunch set without copying it completely it merges other things and even with like the, the family ties episode i felt like it kind of had that family ties look but it had other things maybe some growing pains in there or other things like that so it's really interesting how they're working all that together right and then as far as the villain i don't know um i don't have any guesses i am actually hoping so so i was actually thinking this this goes into what i was hoping so she's got an extreme amount of power uh you know obviously where's dr strange during all this now, I'm hoping because he's going to show up in the end of it. Right. But if he sensed Loki appearing on Earth, wouldn't he sense this as well? Probably. Right? Like Maybe he... I, yeah. Uh, I maybe mean, that's, that's part of it, but maybe he'll appear in the last episode. That's, I was actually thinking when, you know, the episode with Pietro at the door, I was hoping it was going to be Doctor Strange. No, uh, I think it's too early for that. Yeah. I think Doctor Strange is going to come in to lead right into yes, yes. Multiverse of Madness. And what, so what did you think of the recast of, of Pietro when they had the X-Men version appear? I think this is Fahey's way of introducing the Fox characters now. You know, I think this is his way of merging everything. Although there was one scene where I, th oh, um, when Wanda's talking to Pietro mm -hmm. outside and she sees him and he's dead. I think they should have used the MCU guy. Right, because they show him in a brief moment getting shot. Oh, when he gets shot or whatever. Exactly. They should have used. They should have used him for that. Just that one scene. Yeah, I liked him in the movie. I thought he was good um, from the MCU. I I liked how they used the kick-ass Easter egg. What was it? I mean, okay. they say it and it. Right. Uh, okay. So, so believe it or not, if you're a fan of Mark Miller's kick-ass movie the first kid that is actually kick-ass was pietro in age of ultron his best friend is this fox pietro yeah so i thought that was pretty cool that came so, out of nowhere so two the sort of movie had two quicksilvers correct so i thought that was a cool nod i think the paul bettany's great as an actor oh wonderful and he's and that's i expected that of him because he's good and everything and he he really plays the different eras they're in very well and then the confusion of what the character is going through really well and I this last yeah this last episode where he actually breaks through yeah that was and he's, and he's trying to help people i mean that it's sad but it was beautiful at the same time i mean he's literally getting torn off and yeah. he's like you need to save these people and i think also um, but here's here's an interesting i don't mean to cut you off here's another interesting theory and you can correct me if i'm wrong about this i think agnes instigated that on purpose i don't think i i don't think she got locked like some of the other people in westview i think she set that up just to draw that out of vision cuz she look i mean well and in the episode before it might have been the, the lead off where um she said, uh, you know, like she was kind of she's, worried. 
she's the catalyst for for pretty much everything in these past two episodes. You know, Sparky's death. Now she's, you know, trying to get into Vision's head. She's like, are you an Avenger? Yeah. And he had no idea. Well, why didn't he? Because he, I mean, he was part of Endgame. So he was fighting with the Avengers. I mean. Right. But I think Wanda started him at episode one. when okay. she took back the body. Okay. So it was like kind of like deleted, so to speak. His... Exactly. Well, she never had a prequel, per se. So okay. he, he's, his life as the happy husband started at episode one. But it's interesting how he's starting to piece together like something's really off. Like that that episode where they almost right. went at it. You yeah. know, he was like, I'm scared. I don't know who I am before Westview. So what do you think of um of Elizabeth Olsen's performance? Oh my god, she's incredible. She's great. She think, has to win something. I think it's great because she's playing from the beginning the fifties housewife. And going into like an 80s style later on acting sitcom. And then she's balancing the, when the need appears, the the grief or the the drain of trying to like create this universe of Westview. Um, and the toll is taken on her. And when she has to express as an actress express it, she does it very well. Yeah, yeah she's starting to Wanda is starting to realize that she might be wrong in this if she is doing it. You know, she's starting to break down. She's. I'm curious to see what happens to Billy and Tommy. Because in the comics, they actually disintegrate before Young Avengers starts. And that's how, you know, that's when she really loses it, when when the kids are taken. That could be that could be next week for me, now this new episode. Because we only got like four or three left? Three. They're, okay, so... And they're going to be one-hour episodes each. Oh, they're really? Okay, yes. so, we, so we have a lot not happening in the next three hours. That's going to eventually lead into Doctor Strange, whether she'll be. Um, I mean, I I love it when she left and all the guns were pointed oh, at her. Okay. Right. And then she's like, uh, snap. And, and they're all everybody's. Switched. Yeah. And then this obviously is the introduction to Photon, who will eventually become Captain Marvel and lead the Avengers. Okay. So, so the R- Rambo character. Correct. So. That's going to be interesting to see how they do that because that means, you know, what's going to happen to Brie Larson? Maybe. I don't know. I... Or or she could be Photon for the rest of the MCU, so we don't know that part yet. Yeah, and and so much is not done yet. Like, we have this. Right, it's then, still young. Right, and I'm sure it's planned out, but then, you know, next we'll have um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And then, you know, we'll finally get a movie eventually. And as they start to build to the next big villain. And the trailer looked great, by the way. Oh, yeah. The Super Bowl and, trailer. And then and that's the thing. Who will the new villain be? Will it be um, the big, you know, uh, big MCU villain? That's been a big debate. Will it be Dr. Doom? That's one version I heard. Will it be uh, Krang? That's another one. Is that his name? Krang or Kang? Kang. Kang. Okay. Yeah. Will it be Kang? Uh, will it be Galactus? You know, who knows? You know, I'm just enjoying the ride at the moment. I'm just, I'm just really more curious to 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 see how this plays out. Right. As far well, as the Winter Soldier, I mean, it's probably just going to be about the government doesn't want Falcon to be the new Captain America. At least that's my take on it. But also, I think it's going to be it's going to be different than this because it's going to be an action show, and then it's also going to be like a buddy movie where they don't start out as buddies. 
Right. So, you know, like uh, Lethal Weapon in the first one, they don't start out as friends, you know, when they become partners, but it's a buddy movie. It's a buddy cop movie. So I think they're going to kind of like be like that. I think there's going to be a lot of them kind of hating, not hating or hating each other or whatever in the beginning, because they kind of like did have that little rift between them when right. they first met, and, you know, rightfully so for everything. But it, it was like that scene where he's like, you know, could you move your seat up? And he's like, no, you know, like in uh the movie so uh, was that civil war so i think uh, i think everything's gonna work out i think that's just gonna be a good show and you know baron zemo looks like he's back um so yeah he's got the mask on now the mask so i think that's gonna be another great thing to look at um and that's what is that coming out it's later on oh, next month okay good yeah well, i got something to watch yeah well we like i said one division three more episodes yeah yeah so so yeah it's these next couple of episodes are going to be really good. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how she'll be in Doc Strange. I really liked that movie. Honestly, I hope he saves her. Yeah, I I, I don't want to see her being the big bad. In the end, I think he I think he will. But the thing, you know, what I was thinking. So she volunteered to have this done to her, right? Originally to get revenge on Stark. Could you consider her a mutant? Well, they're saying now that the gem. The Infinity Stone released her or activated hers and Pietro's mutant power. So it was always in there, just now it's exposed but or come to fruition. For her, I see. But Pietro, in theory, wasn't there because um, he wasn't there when, when with the Infinity Stone, right? I have no idea. I mean, I thought the Infinity Stone was I mean, the reason he... for both of them. Oh, wait. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because they had one when they were at the end when they see the twins. Right. And, I was thinking me and my sister in it soon. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of a uh, lot of lot of pieces to the puzzle so to be put together. And next week's gonna be a great week because guess what? What Ronin issue two finally uh, Wednesday. I cannot wait. That's you know what? I'm gonna I hate to say this. Weather weather permitting, because this kind storms are hitting the hell out of this country. You saw what happened in Texas with the ice. I will be at that UPS warehouse <laughs> to get my copy. I will rip open the box. I'm, there's no way. There's nothing stopping me this Wednesday. Okay, so let's get, just be safe, everybody. When you get you go get your comic, if it's raining or snowing by you, if you're not used to that kind of weather. And speaking of which, did you see? Did you happen to see this? This is awesome. Kevin Eastman it. recently texted this out. He said this was the original Ronin really? back in the '80s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he might be joking now, but it it makes sense. It's it may, it might have funny. been for the, yeah. It's definitely got his art style to it, you know, which is cool. Well, it's, it's his drawing. Yeah, his the 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 gloves are interesting. Whatever is protecting his fingers, those are interesting drawing pieces. Yeah, it's gonna be a T-shirt. Oh, really? Yeah, cool. Yeah, from uh, the Kevin Eastman studio. Very cool. And you know what? Speaking of turtles, this is a great segue to show our interview with author Chris Fawcett and his new book, Rad Plastic. So with me is our special guest, Chris Fawcett, author of this incredible book, Rad Plastic. It's probably one of the most definitive visual pop culture books based on the turtles that you'll ever find. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. How are you doing? Great. The book's Rad Plastic, going through it last week, taking notes. This book is amazing. I mean, the stuff you've uncovered. How? Where did you get the idea for this book? Well, I've been with a group that 
Um, we made a, another book also called Engineering and Empire about the, the people behind the Kenner Star Wars line. And that oh, was the first book that was put out like maybe a year and a half ago now. And um, we had started in the course of some of the research for that book, we'd started finding some people that had worked at Playmates as well and started uncovering some things uh, from the Turtles line. And pretty soon it was pretty apparent that we had enough for a book. And at that point, I was thinking maybe 100 or 200 pages. And then as we continued research, we kept finding more and more and more and more. So um, it expanded and expanded and expanded until it came, became what you have in your hands now. Wow. And <clears throat> some of the stuff is amazing what you've uncovered. I mean, there's stuff from Lucasfilm that was pitched, I guess, uh, Playmates pitched them. Yeah, they, they made a pitch to Lucasfilm. And um I'm not sure if everybody knows, but back in 1996, when Lucasfilm was was um, re-pitching, re-quoting, not quoting isn't the right word, they were letting com toy companies pitch to get the license, right? They were renegotiating the license. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, okay. Playmates was heavily involved in that, and they made a massive pitch to Lucasfilm around that time, some of, of the uh, prototypes of which... Um, have been discovered and some of those you can see in a series of books called toys time forgot by, oh, yeah. by, by blake wright that he just launched his third volume of starter uh, but i know some of the playmate star wars stuff is in volume two so yeah so you know they were already apparently um at least in contact with lucasfilm to pitch them ideas to try and get the license for star wars and i i guess although i'm not sure that was probably about the time they were saying, hey, we could do some crossover with Turtles or Indiana Jones, and we're pitching some of these other ideas as well. Wow. Now, there is so much stuff in this book. I mean, it, I think it clocks in at 400 pages. Yeah. Now, this might be an outrageous question, but is there anything that didn't make it into the book? Oh, sure, lots of stuff. I mean, I had, had to pick and choose. There's stuff I found sort of too late to get in there, um, a few pieces oh, wow. that I would have loved to get in, but just – it was already sent to the printer when I discovered some things. It's certainly, um, you know, I have lots of, I had to choose, you know, a lot of the book is the prototypes and you'll see sculpts and hard copies and first shots and things like that. And if you don't know that terminology, then I explain it all in the book as well. But sometimes I would have all of those stages for a given figure and I had to choose which one I wanted to put in and which ones to leave out. So there were lots of pictures of sculpts that didn't get in, lots of pictures of, of hard copies that didn't get in, just, just for space. I wanted to stick to about 400 pages because I felt like that was a pretty standard sort of size for a substantial coffee table book. And I didn't want it to get kind of ridiculous, you know, like three oh, inches sure. or something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Plus <laughs> you self-published. So I'm sure that, you know, shipping had to take some account yeah. to it. Yeah. And I wanted it to be at a price point that, you know, that most collectors could get at, you know, if I doubled the size of it, it'd be a hundred dollar plus book. And I thought that would be probably pricing some people out of having it. And I didn't want to do that. I felt at $60, almost anybody who wanted a copy could figure out a way to get a copy at that price. So I love the fact that you, it's not just a picture book, but there's also like some historical value and a, and a lesson in, in the first two chapters. I mean, you've literally shown how a figure is created in the first two chapters back in the eighties. Was that intentional or? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the kind of book I wanted to make, which is really, you know, it's, it's not an encyclopedia. It's not a guide to the production. You can't open it up and match up which accessories you need to have with which figure. It's not that at all. I wanted an art book. And so in order to do that, I felt like, people really wouldn't know what they were looking at if 
if I just put out a book of like, say it was just the, the uh, yearly number chapters in here, people wouldn't really understand what it was they were looking at. So I knew I had to explain up front and walk everybody through um, the process um, in order to have an appreciation for the artistry that comes later. Because if you really don't get how it was made and like, oh, this thing is hand cast and hand painted. Now, all of a sudden, your impression of the artistic value of it goes up because you realize um, how hands on the process was and how it worked. And, I, you know, obviously, um, most people not being in the toy industry don't don't know how that whole thing happens. So um, I thought it'd be good educationally and then also to help you appreciate the rest of the book as well. Now, you're a toy designer by trade, correct? Uh, I used to be. I haven't done toys in probably 15 years. But yeah, early in my career, probably the first almost 20 years of my career, I did a lot of toy design. Not exclusively. What have we seen? Um, probably the one thing I could point to that you would know or maybe remember is I worked on a uh, Fisher-Price line called Rescue Heroes, which was action okay. figures based on like firemen and policemen and construction workers and stuff. It was sort of like a line about celebrating real life heroes. Um, it was pretty popular. It went, they had a cartoon for it at one point. It went, I don't know, many years. So I worked on the very first uh, line of those. Um, other than that, it was a lot of like ride on toys and playground equipment and things like that. So it would be, you know, more, more the, a lot, and a lot of preschool stuff. Like I did a lot of Fisher Price work making, you know, the, you know, the little Fisher Price people, they're like their version of Weeble Wobble. They have the little round socket on the bottom and they sit in all the vehicles. I did a lot of those kind of vehicles and play sets and things like that for them. Cool. <clears throat> You're referring to this book as like a pop culture art book. How has the community responded to the book? Well, you know, for the most part, all been positive. I really haven't seen anybody say much negative about it. I've had a few people that have said things like, oh, it would have been just a little bit better if you'd had that encyclopedia at the end. And, you know, my brain, I'm thinking like, there was like 350 <laughs> or so like uh, figures for the vintage line. That would have been like another 100 pages. Like it just, it wasn't <laughs> practical to put that in. So, um, but other than just little things like that, the response has been pretty great. I mean, I think people... I think people were surprised by it. Um, and I was worried at first because I knew going out, I'd only shown like four or five pages and I tried to explain it, but I knew some people, A, wouldn't read the explanation and B, would maybe just glance over the image and hit, hit by thinking they were getting the encyclopedia type thing, especially because there was that Kickstarter book, you know, that, that failed um, right. and people got ripped off like four or five years ago. I don't know. I don't know when that was, but um, that maybe the instant, um, then people would hit their brain because this is like that. It's just, it's finally going to happen. And I was worried that people would think that. And then when they got it, be disappointed. But I think I've kind of found the opposite. People were like, oh, I thought it was more like a encyclopedia. Oh my God, I didn't realize it was going to be this. And this is so much more amazing than encyclopedia. And I've learned so much and seeing all the unreleased things is really interesting. So um, yeah, it was the positive feedback has been really positive. And um uh, you know the the proof there is in how fast they're selling. I'm you know I'm I'm probably going to run out here in the next probably thirty days or so. Honestly, so wow, you know, if that's you great. Want to get one? I, there will likely be more available later in the year, but if you want one, like you know, in the near term, uh, yeah, got to get in now, or you may have to wait till the fall. So <laughs> now the book doesn't cover any NECA or Mondo turtles. Was that intentional, or did you get resistance from them? No, I, I never wanted to do anything past uh, what I call the vintage, which is basically 88 to 80 to 98. 
And for a couple of reasons, number one is because that's the eras that I'm most interested in toys. Cause you know, the eighties and nineties are, you know, seventies, eighties and nineties are sort of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, second, you know, after about 2000, the way toys were made completely changed. You're getting into all the packaging design is done on a computer. The sculpting is starting to get done on computers. You don't have a lot of these artifacts anymore, at least not physical, tangible artifacts. They tend to be digital artifacts. So the idea of doing something for those later lines, the material that I'm showcasing really doesn't exist for those later mm-hmm. lines. So, um, and the idea of highlighting this artistic process and it being an art book, and I'm not saying like, you know, the modern way of doing sculpting in a computer is still art, of course it is, right? But but there's nothing really for me to take a photo of and show you in a book, right? It's a yeah. digital thing on a screen. And I think it would be kind of a little bit dull to show a whole bunch of pages of these, you know, in the screen, they're like gray, right? It's just gray <laughs> blob it looks cool, but it's like, it would get a little boring rather than, you know, a physical thing that I could take a photo of and do dynamic poses and things like that. So it was really like the content itself just lended itself to, to that old school way of doing things. And that pretty much ended around 2000. Now, there's still some companies out there doing it. Like I know Super 7 is basically mm-hmm. doing all old school sculpting and clay and wax. And they wanted to have that sort of old school way of doing it because that's kind of their their brand almost. And that's really cool. But I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't know how NECA does there. So I'm not really that familiar. And then probably the third thing is just in my line of research, you know, all the people I was connecting with were from that era. And in order to okay. start researching the later stuff, it's a whole different, completely different group of people, different era of people would be a completely different path of research. And so, yeah, I was just focused on that because that was the, the ones I had early access to. Yeah. Besides the toys, one of the great features of this book is you actually have a whole bunch of concept drawings. Uh, one of my favorites was the police force. You had those, the Jim Lee figures, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, there's a line, I believe, of Harley Davidson. Uh, yeah, there was. Well, they made two of those um, uh, motorcycle figures. I think those were in '93 or '94. But there was a bunch of them that they didn't make, like a, a guy, a Western chopper, cowboy hat kind of guy on a Western chopper with a big handlebars up here. And right. uh, there was a there was a cop on a police motorcycle in that line, and they didn't make those. And then, yeah, and then like you said, there were some entire lines that weren't released, like that police line from like 1996, right. I think entire concepts of vehicles and figures that never went anywhere and there was a there was also a sports line late in the line like 97 that had different sports turtles again and shredder as a referee and and that line just went to concept sketches and never went any farther with that it looked like it was going to be pretty cool but they i don't think any of either of those lines ever even went to any kind of 3d stage i think it's just just concept sketches so yeah, and even those are beautiful, the way they're drawn out. You wouldn't even think yeah. that was for a toy line. Yeah, some of those, like especially the police ones, were really difficult because what I, the material I had to work with was basically old faxes. Like, and oh, wow. You know how, if, if you're familiar with old faxes, they fade over time. Right. So, some of those, I even had an artist re-ink them. I, like, I brought the wow. sketch into Photoshop and punched it up as much as I could, and it looked pretty nasty. And I was like, you know, we printed it out and had them re-ink them right over top to make as clean of an image as we could. Um, so yeah, some of those were really tough to get in there because they were just so degraded over time because they were just on fax paper. Some of them I couldn't even pull out enough to get them into the book. So I also love the fact that you covered the Takara Super Mutant line. 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, so that line was released in the U.S. as well, though, but it's it was a slightly different scale in in Japan. And uh, I talked about it a little bit because it was developed in Japan, but it was released mm -hmm. here. There are a few figures that were released in Japan that never made it to the U.S. I don't think I cover those at all, but it's part of that later lines where uh, it was sort of dying down here, but the Japanese toy makers thought they could keep it going a little bit longer. So they were trying some new and different things. And and um, I think Playmates just sort of latched on to their work because it was it was easy to do because they already done a lot of the design work. So it was cheaper for them to go, well, let's try this in the United States because Hatful work's done already. Now, is it safe to say that there might be a volume two in the future? Um, probably not exactly like this, but what I'm okay. think, thinking, hoping is um, you know, early on, like in the first in the first few pages, not the not the first few pages. It's like this page here, page 32, where we're looking at like okay. you know, some some um, these concept sketches here of characters that never made it. Like right, there's a there's a bear that's like a Russian bear. There's a, a crow and a like a yeti. And I found hundreds of those types of sketches. And so oh, wow. I'm hoping what to do is if there's a volume two um, is to maybe do a book of, of completely unreleased concepts. So the stuff in here that I stuck to that's unreleased, it had mm -hmm. pretty much had to have one of a couple criteria for me to include it. Number one, it had to be, if it made it all the way to 3D, I included it. So if there was a sculpt, oh, I included okay. it. Number two, if it was an unreleased version from a line that was released even if it didn't make the sculpt i would try to put that in so like the giant april was you know they released giant figures but the april never came out i don't mm -hmm. believe it ever went to a sculpt and then the third one is like those ones we talked about where there, there was like an entire line that was planned that that line didn't come out but there are hundreds of concepts of just individual one-off characters especially the earlier years where you know they were doing those non-themed things it was just you know they were getting those early characters pandacon and usagi and walkabout and sandstorm you know these just sort of generic mutants there are tons of concepts from that era where they just took various animals and made them into sketches a wolf a snail an octopus you know i mean a raccoon you name it they probably did it <laughs> and so i have a lot of those sketches that obviously couldn't fit because i probably have over, well over 100 of those wow. and so i would love to do a book of those sketches and even maybe um have the original artist color them so do like a modern modern coloring just to make it more interesting being in color and uh you know even though the sketch is a vintage sketch and um maybe do a book like that so that would be but i don't know we'll we'll see how it goes i just have to see uh how this one sells and we'll, how it goes over the next year or so and maybe i'll start thinking about doing that that's awesome i mean good luck with that yeah it would be more and like an eight eight and a half by 11 maybe 150 pages it'd be quite a, quite a bit smaller than this but you know, uh, a fascinating thing, you have so many uncreated or unfulfilled toy lines. I'm actually thinking, I wonder if NECA or Super 7 is looking at this book and be like, hey, down the line, why don't we just actually make this figure? There's um the Forgotten Sewer line. Mm -hmm. That line looks amazing. You have uh, Splinter the Wizard, Michelangelo as a knight. I would love to see that in in you know yeah well I've, I've heard that super seven has a book somebody at super seven bought one i don't know who that is but you know if they're watching this and want to contact me and and i can get you know other photos to help out with making the super seven version of mike knight i think that'd be super cool i i doubt that playmates would ever go forward with making like a vintage style 
unreleased character like that. I mean, maybe they would. They've released some of those, you know, re-releases where they took those. But but I believe a lot of the old molds still exist. So I think they're literally just pulling those out of mothballs and, you know, mm-hmm. making some new figures. And so it doesn't cost very much to release a um, a pack of, you know, legacy type figures like that. Whereas pulling up a brand new one like Mike Knight would be a much more substantial investment. But mm-hmm. I think it would be cool for somebody like Super 7 and NECA to do their take on it. Have it be, obviously it wouldn't you know, look like the one in the book, stylistically, it'd be the same, but it'd be in the NECA style or the Super 7 style. Exactly. So I think, I think that would be really cool um, to do so on on some of these figures. So I don't know. I, like I said, Super 7, I, I've heard, has a copy. So we'll see if they have mm-hmm. any interest in putting out something interesting from some of those unreleased lines. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Now, with your background and all your research, you've pretty much seen every turtle concept. What would you like to see if... Super Seven came to you and be and was like, "Hey, Chris, uh, what turtle would you like?" The, the Chris Fawcett signature edition turtle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what <would> I want? <laughs> That's a good question. I would say, well, so I, I will go back to this. I think out of all the the things that I've seen, and um, especially of the unreleased stuff, I think my absolute favorite is the Spellcaster Splinter. Yeah. So if I had amazing. to pick one, I'd be like, that'd be the one. I'd I'd love to have like a a NECA version of that and a Super Seven version. I was like a, I was a Lord of the Rings fan since like grade school. So that's oh, that's awesome. like that's probably the the franchise that I can point to that I've been in love with the longest. So that figure looks so much like Gandalf. I mean, it's clearly it's clearly influenced by Gandalf, and so uh, the fact that it's it's. You know, I've loved that series for so long. I think that'd be one. And I, I love the sculpt. That's one of the best sculpts, I think, of the entire line. It's a shame it didn't get made. It's just it's yeah. the, the most dynamic sculpting I've ever seen for an action figure, I think. At least now, of that era. We know somewhat about the Mattel not going forward with it. But with some of these concepts, why do you feel they never went through? Um, well, so the ones that made it pretty far along, like the Wars of the Forgotten Sewer ones, or maybe even the unreleased Jim Lee, those would generally be a result of the response they got at Toy Fair. So okay. they would take these these to Toy Fair. And, and when they went to Toy Fair with the Wars of the Forgotten Sewer, let's use that as an example, they had the four released ones there. They also had the Wizard and the Mike Knight and the Tiger. Those were all they're being shown about there's catalog there's photos in some old toy magazines from toy fair showing that whole line on display at toy fair so but then what happens is the you know the toy fair the whole goal is to have the buyers from the retailers come through and look at everything and go well what are we going to order what do we like so they kind of get a feel for what the buyers want so what happened with those i believe is that there was enough interest they decided to go forward but there wasn't so much interest that they wanted to make an uh, an investment to eight figures in a line. So they pared it down oh, okay. to four and probably said, you know, let's see how the first four go. And look, we'll be all set to go with year two of these for next year if indeed they sell really well. And they put them out there and they probably sold mediocre or maybe poorly, who knows, but um, obviously not well enough to go forward with a second series in the second year. So um, when I first found these, I thought they were like, planned second series second year releases but i the more i researched i don't believe that was the case i think they were originally planning to do all of them in the first year and pared the line down due to probably mediocre but not totally terrible interest at toy fair so something like um you know the the sports ones or the police ones those are probably just really early designs where they're like fleshing out ideas for the year and they've got they know they're going to pick three lines for that year but they've got eight ideas 
And that's just a process of whittling them down. And that's why some of those never even make it to sculpting because they were they were discarded for other options very early in the process as they were starting to try and figure out what they wanted to do. So the book is Rad Plastic and is available right now. He but apparently copies are going fast. So yeah. log on to radplastic.com. And then if you log on, you have two options. So all you international fans that want a copy, you can log on and actually get a quote. Yeah, the, the international shipping is quite expensive, unfortunately. And um, because the book is over is, is over five pounds, anything international over four pounds, the shipping just ratchets up very quickly. So uh, I hope to have some Euro European and maybe elsewhere, maybe Asia Pacific um, distribution later this year. But um, so we'll, we'll just have to see how that goes. So I'm pretty sure it's going to happen, but I'm not entirely sure of what areas. So I would say Europe is fairly likely. Well, the book is Rad Plastic. I look forward to more work from you in the future, and you're always welcome to come back. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's It's been fun. I've liked talking to everybody I've been able to talk to recently, and whether it's just the people making comments online or like some of these interviews I've done, it's, it's, always, it's always fun. Awesome. And then uh, where can people see you on social media if they want to follow you? Um, on Facebook, probably go to join the TMNT Prototype Collectors page. Um, on there, you can find I'm the admin of that. I'm also the admin of the Vintage um, TMNT Collectors page. Uh, so you can find me there or just search my name on Facebook. You'll find me. And then on Instagram, Chris.Fawcett. And I'm not on Twitter, so I just decided to be pretty much avoid that lately. <laughs> So yeah, I don't um, so it's Instagram is really a better platform for showing photos of this stuff anyway. So it's, it seems like the place I should be. So you can find me there. I'm posting stuff like I'm doing a series now where I'm like taking close up photos of everything. Oh, like, cool. like, you know, like a real close up of the headshot almost rather than the ones in the book are all almost full body. So it gets more detail, you know, a little bit art, different artistic take on things. So you can see some of the ones in the book and it's sort of that style of photography on my Instagram page. So I'm posting those about once a day here, just random stuff, whatever I decide to take a photo of that day. Very nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Hope everybody enjoys the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know I did. I mean, my co-host Ian's dying to get this home from it. <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I love the cover. I mean, from cover to cover, it's a fantastic book. I even love the little engine in the back there. Yeah. I'll give a shout out to my designer, Chance Anderson. He knocked it out of the park. Um, the cover concept is completely 100% his idea. Uh, and then, you know, most of the internal pages, uh, you know, a lot of the, the design work there was, was his concepts. So I give him a ton of credit for the, the visual style of the book. Awesome. Yeah. So the book is Rad Plastic. Go to radplastic.com and order your copy right now. They're going fast. So thank you again to Chris Fawcett, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again sometime. Yeah, anytime. If you're having doubts, log on to radplastic.com. Order yourself a copy if you're a Turtles fan. Every Turtles fan should own this. There is a section... I know he mentioned it, but there is a section where there was a line of medieval turtles. Beautiful. I don't know how this never saw retail. Beautiful. There's a, a wizard splinter. Gorgeous. If you're a Turtles fan, this is the book for you. I know they have a lot of stuff right now, but learn your history, folks. Okay, uh, so news. Let's get into some news. Yeah. So, coming out of Mattel, 
I was very excited to see this. The Masters of the Universe Hot Wheels 5-Pack. The mini collection features five 164th scale vehicles with realistic detail and authentic deco. Recognizable as He-Man, Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, Beast-Man, and Tila. I gotta say, I'm not a, a Matchbox Hot Wheels kind of guy, but I like these. These are really cool looking. Yeah. yeah. Now, is that box, is that a collector's case? That the, the the castle on it? Or is that just... I think it's just a box. Do they come all five together? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought they were sold separately. Nope. You know, the five-car set will is uh, right now at pre-order from Big Bad Toy Store. These are pretty cool. Like, when you look at Men at Arms... Yeah, he's the best one. I like trucks. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of um the turtle wagon, and then um you know Beast Man looks good, and and He Man's very, I would say they're all um identifiable as per the character, with the exception right. of is that supposed to be Tila. Yes. Okay, that's like the only one that's like looks like a normal car in a way, and it's not an insult to to the line because it's a great toilet, it's a great piece of work. But um, I guess it's because of the character design and how to interpret that into a into a car. I remember. There was a He-Man set where it was He-Man. There were actually really nice cars. It was a He-Man versus Skeletor car. Didn't look anything like it. I think it was a great car with the Masters logo on it. And they would race down this track, and it would actually jump at a part. It was either... Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, I had it. it I loved And it, it might crash in midair. Might yeah, something crash. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so that was fun. You know, but these um these look really nice. I mean, it, like I said, it really looks like the character themselves, which is okay, I guess. But well, I think that's the point of it. Like, I think um, they should have designed kind of like the Tila car. I would have liked to seen like a really interesting design, like like in the spirit of, like I mean, technically these are the spirit of, but I mean. You can actually see that this is the He-Man car because it's got a blonde top. It's got the Iron uh, Cross, right? You yep. know, but I would like to see like a. So I'm challenging you, Hot Wheels folks. Give me a really beautiful looking car. Just you know, slap a Ma Masters logo on it. Well, you know what the difference is that I like is that they sell some cars where it's just like whatever type of car it is with the sticker on it. Like I said, I'm not a I'm not a toy car guy. But I like these, and and Disney has been selling toy uh, cars like this for a long time. Um, they did a Peter Pan one, an Indiana Jones one, and if you look these up online, you'll see that the design of the car represents the spirit of the character, the way he looks, and that's what I like about these. I, to me, like slapping the Star Wars logo on a matchbox of I don't know a pickup is like it's just a pickup but a paint job. But when they make it look like Darth Vader somehow, which is actually one of the cars Disney did. Um, they did a really so you like that it looks like. Oh, that. yeah. They did this really okay. sweet Boba Fett one. It was like it was it was so cool. Um, so, yeah, I like I like to see the character in the car. Uh, I think that's, that's cool. cool. Interesting. OK. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One of the build a figures or not build a figures. One of the Lego builds or construction toy that one. Guess what it was? Car. The Razor Crest, of course, from Lego. Well, I'm telling you, the the big winner was Mandalorian this year at the Toy Awards. Masters of the Universe Origins pre-orders are now up, and the new wave will include Faker, Web Store, Green Goddess, 
Lords of Power Beastman. And the deluxe figure will be Buzzsaw Hordak. Now, they're also coming out with version 2 of Evil Lynn. And the vehicle for this wave will be the Wind Raider. Now, as a He-Man fan, I'm actually kind of curious to see what they do with this Evil Lynn. Now, the original one, which did come out, had that yellowish skin that looked like the vintage figure. Now, version 2 Evelyn, I am curious to see, is she going to have a removable helmet? Is she not going to have a helmet? Or are we just going to see her white hair along her uh, pale skin? So I am kind of curious to see what they do with this. Unfortunately, with the Origins line, even though I'm a He-Man fan, I am picking and choosing through this. I'm saving everything for Masterverse. Which, by the way, people have started to see the actual figures. I don't have it. Yeah, I don't have any pictures right now, but I have heard through the grapevine that there are pictures out there now. So, so hopefully soon. Leaked or official? Officially let out. The people I've talked to are, they've seen them. These are, yeah, these are official pictures. Cool. Well, they're not the pictures we're going to see. So I shouldn't call them official, but. They're out there. People have seen them. So I, I'm really hyped up for Masterverse. I'm hyped up for Revelations, which reminds me, this week, this past Monday, Kevin Smith released part of the score for Masters of the Universe Revelations, the new He-Man show coming out of Netflix. So he only released the score for the transformation sequence. Beautiful. Like I said, Ian was with me. We did a quick People of Eternia which, by the way, is now on all platforms. So look out for it. Beautiful sounding. It was incredible. However, Bear McCrary has done work for The Walking Dead, you know, some big shows. So I'm, I'm really hoping they're not going to price themselves out because there is a very big all-star cast for this show, which is great, but I'd rather see a great show that goes like five years down the line, maybe more, God willing. So thank you for Kevin Smith for sharing that. Unfortunately, we can't share it here because YouTube will throw us off. So just listen to People of Eternia. It's on all podcasting platforms. Listen to that quick episode. You can get your snippet. Or if you want, you can even see it here on YouTube. So congratulations to Todd McFarlane, who won the People's Choice Awards at the Toy Fair Toy Awards this week for his Kickstarter spawn. He was the People Choice winner, so that was incredible. And then he also did, he also recently did a virtual presentation with online retailers. And this picture was leaked from that retail conversation. It includes the Cowboy Spawn, which we've yet to see, and the Redeemer with Angel Wings. Now, I don't know if this is a brand new Redeemer, because I have seen the Redeemer figure like this. He did like an all-children's line. This is what it reminds me of, except with the feathered wings. Now, if you've been following up on your Spawn comics, the Redeemer actually turned into the, not Grim Reaper, but he's now known as the Reaper. So that figure, I would like to see, the Reaper. Now, Cowboy Spawn, he's the new popular one this year, so it's great seeing him as a figure. So who knows what we'll see down the line. No, and um, his he's been Todd's been hinting at his next Kickstarter, Medieval Spawn. I, know I can't thing, wait for that. One thing about the Reaper, don't fear him. Sorry, that's... he's actually a cool design. 
Like I, I'm a sucker for guys without faces, like just <laughs> like that. Shadowy yeah. face hood kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it looks like a helmet, kind of like um, kind of like a more shapely Cobra Commander. If you, yeah, it's not silver, but so let's talk about the Toy Fair Toy Awards. So congratulations to everybody that won. The big winners were Lego. Anything that was Grogu won. Mattel, Hasbro. Lego was a huge winner. I, I know I keep saying that, but remember that piano? Oh yeah, that that was a winner. I, I don't see how that could not be. I mean, they played music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their Super Mario set, that was big cool. winner. Yeah. yeah, and obviously, of course, our beloved spaceship that got blown up from the Mandalorian, oh, the Razor Crest, that also won. Tom McFarlane again won the People's Choice Award. So I didn't see that coming. But here's what kind of is unsettling with me about these choice awards. Really nothing for collectors. Now, I understand toys are for children. I get that. And trust me, Scott has always been saying we are a very finite group in the big scope of things. I would kind of like to know the percentage of, if there's a way to figure it out, toy sales between kids and collectors, what the diff, what the percentage is. If that was like a, I know it's a tough thing to figure out, but I would, I would love to know that, what the difference is. Email Scott. I'm sure he'll tell you. I mean, I'm sure the industries have done something like that to try to figure it out, you know, like based on sales. And since we're on the topic, if you want a PhD in toys, find Spectre Creative on YouTube. He's got a million videos right now. Most, Some of them are He-Man based, which is great. I love his insider commentary on the classics collection. But he brings a great insight into toys. So if you're inclined, check out Spectre Creative. You'll get a PhD in toy manufacturing to all the way through marketing. It really is a great show, a uh, great program. And also... I'm just going to throw this out for Scott because he has been plugging us as well. If you have an idea, a toy idea, look to Spectre Creative. The man is a genius. He doesn't get a lot of credit for what he's done in the toy industry, which is a shame, but he really has done a lot. So if you're inclined, you know, if you have an idea, look to Spectre Creative. So G.I. Joe Classified Wave 1 is coming back, but with new deco. Look at bling on Destro. Oh, yeah, he's pimp. Well, actually, he's only silver, so he's yet to be pimp. That's interesting is that if you look at um, in the middle, that's Duke. Yeah. Looks like Dolph Lundgren. But and you look at Snake Eyes, a lot of these toys have that built-in articulation in, like, the midsection nowadays. Yeah, the app crunch. Yeah, well, like, you can you can do poses with them or, you know, stop motion or whatever. It's It's a feature I've been noticing more and more on toys. Which yeah, I mean, more articulation. That's what collectors want nowadays. More detail, yeah. collect, you know, articulation. And it, guy, it all great. started from McFarlane, if you really think about it. He was the first one that was like, detail, 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 more deco. I was listening to an uh, interview with him recently when he was at an image meeting, and he brought the first Spawn figure. And he was like, listen, I'm doing something that no other toy store is doing. I'm actually adding an extra five cents for more paint, for more deco. You know, I'm adding this and that. And, I mean, he was a pioneer. I mean, look what it's spawned right now. 
So wave one will have new deco and will include Duke Scarlet Roadblock with new deco, and then Snake Eyes and Destro will be the same versions. Each figure will retail at twenty two ninety nine, and they will come with the same accessories as wave one. So. Nice box. Nice box. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, this is like a, another new trend that we're seeing. You know, not so much the Holistic window, yeah. right? Yeah, so the boxes are really coming in, especially from Hasbro, I've noticed. Yeah, it's uh Jazzware has just announced a UFC figures for pre-order at Ringside Collectibles. And this wave will include Conor McGregor, George Mas Vidal, Amanda Nunez, I'm gonna mess this up, Francis Nanu, Israel Adessa, Uraha Faber, and it will also include a chase variant. So that's pretty cool. I mean, if you're a UFC fan, you know, it's it's always good to get new people in, especially on collector's lines. So Hasbro just had their fan first Friday, and they are not stopping with the Power Rangers. So Super 7 has their Power Rangers, which we'll get into, and Hasbro's just full strong with the Lightning Collection. And this will include Black Space Ranger, SPD Green Ranger, and the Lost Galaxy Blue Ranger. And a Tango Warrior from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 90s movie. That is very 90 looking, actually. Really? You think? Yeah. Not like the the work on it, but like the how that character looked. That's a mm-hmm. 90s look. At least, I, I don't know. At least I think so. Interesting. And then Super 7 also released their first looks at the Reaction Megazord. Brian loves that overseas stuff, and the <laughs> box looks reminiscent of it. I mean, you could yeah. see he poured his heart and soul into the just the packaging. I would love to be like able to sit in a, a meeting with that they do when it how they when they got the license and how, what they're gonna do and look and package and all that. I picture they're really interesting. Hopefully, one day you know once COVID COVID is done. Yes, please soon. They also have released images of the Red Power Ranger reaction and the Green Power Ranger reaction. Both figures are available at Super 7 for $20 each. And you know, I'm not a Power Ranger guy, but again, it's the reaction figures. They look cool. Something about that line just brings me back. It's my, well, I know why. It's because it's Star Wars, but it's that childhood feeling. The word reaction looks like the Kenner light, uh, lettering. Of course, the card and, and just the figure design makes me feel like a kid again. You're going to love this, Ian. Super 7 oh, has ready to. released their reaction of the Creature from the Black Lagoon Silver Screen Edition. Now, let me... I'm going to interrupt momentarily, as usual. I love this movie. Um, he is my favorite classic Universal monster, even though he was created about 20 years later. And he is just like... It's a beautiful look for a movie creature and for a toy. Uh, just the scales, everything. I really like the packaging, too. Yeah, it's almost like a an aquarium or something, you know, like a fish tank. And I, I don't think it it's brought up enough. The way the creature looks should always be remembered that a lady named Millicent Patrick designed it. And, of course, this was in the, the 50s, and there wasn't the women's equality and and. She really got shunned. First, I started having her promote it. 
but um she really got the short end of the stick on this one that she created this incredibly familiar creature every if you look at this you know exactly what he is what movie Melissa patrick i i feel doesn't get enough credit so if you want to read about her check out the book um the lady from the black lagoon it'll tell you all about her career and what and, and what happened with this but yeah creech love him more from super seven reaction the lead singer of motorhead lemmy reaction figure is now available the ace of spade himself can now be on your shelf wondercon just announced that this year it will be a virtual con for two days and they also said which was kind of sad they're running out of money so who knows what's up in the air for san diego probably probably another virtual con i don't yeah. think i don't, uh, I don't think of, this summer is going to be ready yeah like when we were speaking with blake he was saying um still too early he's thinking and you know because even as the vaccine rolls out get you know getting it in everybody's arms is going to probably take a while so you know, it might be another year before we can actually attend a convention. Possibly, although PowerCon is still hopeful we're all getting together this year. Yeah, and, and hopefully so. That'll be the one that kind of like launches it off. You know, That'd be nice. Yeah. More, more power to PowerCon. Yeah. So I just want to give a special plug to our friends Rob McCallum and Jay Bartlett. Action Figure Adventure, the Blu-ray, is available now for pre-order at Big Bad Toy Store. I just want to say I love the logo of them in the car, like hanging out of the car. Yeah, that's from Mass. Yeah, it's just great. This is a wonderful movie. I can actually say I've been in a movie with Kevin Smith now. There so you go. thanks to Rob. And I can actually say I have six degrees of Kevin Smith now. There you go. As I know you. So help support Action Figure Adventure. It's a great movie. It's basically about a toy collector doing something wonderful for children. So Jay Bartlett is putting his mouth where his money is. He's putting up five grand for a children's charity. And him and Rob go across the country, even in Canada, so they're international, buying all these rare collectibles and having one huge auction at the end. And it, it, all the proceeds go to a great cause. But during their trip, you find out what makes a collector a collector. Rob is magnificent at interviewing people, and you find out why people collect, why people play with action figures, why people love action figures. This is a great movie. I, he was, I'm very fortunate enough to be a part of it. I'm so happy that I am. So go on to Big Bad Toy Store, order your copy, and tell Netflix about it too. If you don't, if you want to see it for free. Yeah. Tell Netflix, hey, I want to see this great documentary by Rob McKellen. So and, and hopefully good luck put to it, them. They'll, they'll put his other stuff on there as well. Well, Power of Grayskull's on it. You can see Missing right. Mom on Amazon Prime okay. along with uh, box art or video box art. That one's actually excellent. If you're a gamer, I highly suggest renting it just or purchasing it if you want. But it, it really, there's a lot going into video games. Yeah, yeah, it's a great documentary. Please support Action Figure Adventure. Now, check this out. There is going to be an adult animated Scooby-Doo prequel at HBO Max, which focuses on the origin of Velma. Now, she will be voiced by the Facts of Life, Mindy Kaling. She's wow. actually been in, been voicing her for a while. Yes. Now, here's... All right, you know how I feel about prequels. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to see where my characters came from. I want to see where they're going. I've seen a pup named Scooby-Doo, so I already know where she came from. <laughs> I don't need the adult version of it. 
How adult are they going to make this thing? Well, I thought an adult or more mature version was Mystery Incorporated. That was a great show. I wish they continued it. And I mean, it was a little twisted, I'll admit, at the end. I mean, there was a scene where Scooby actually thought he was going to die. Yeah. It, it, and he showed, I mean, you could see the fear in the dog's face. He was like, this Ruh-roh. is it. Yeah. Rutro. But do we really need an even more mature? Why choose her for the character, I wonder? Why not um, Fred or Daphne? That's I mean, Shaggy is just, I don't even bother doing a prequel with him. They kind of did that in one of his movies anyway. One of the kind of direct-to-cable video movies where um, he meets Scooby first and then they all get together. This is after the... Yeah, I and, saw that. I wasn't... Yeah, so like, it's an interesting choice of character. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they could have done a better origin story, too. Like, I really liked a pup named Scooby-Doo. You know, I don't think they needed to rehash that. That's why I don't work for HBO Max, I guess. I just think it's mean that they called one of the dogs Scooby-Dum. That did nothing for her self-confidence. No, but it It, is kind of funny. Just because he's dumb. You know what else I can't... Now that I mean, it's a weird conversation, but now that we're on the topic... What is with the hate for Scrappy-Doo? Why does everybody hate Scrappy-Doo? Actually, and that's funny. I, I just read something, and they were talking about when a show just about ended. And it was the same thing with Cousin Oliver and the Brady Bunch. He was in it for like six episodes, and then the show went off the air got canceled. And there's a lot of hate towards Cousin Oliver. It's like that whole like jumping the shark kind of thing. Right. And Scrappy-Doo came in at a time that pretty much Scooby-Doo is kind of losing momentum I think, and it, he kind of, he's kind of like this obnoxious little tough guy who's, you know, where, where Scooby is. He was a baby. Well, th- well Scooby's, he's, and I, I don't even like Scooby Doo, but Scooby's like, he's, he's scared. And somehow he helps solve the, the, the mystery by being scared and clumsy. Right. But like, Scrappy's ready to pick a fight with everybody. He yeah, he's give her a bad, rats. You know, he's, he's like, a badass. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care if I'm two feet tall. I'll, Take that Doberman on or whatever. And I think he just needs to chill a little. Yeah, I, but that comes with youth. I mean, when, when, let's face it, when we're all like five years old, we, I mean, there's kids that think they can fly like Superman when they're five. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's just the curse of youth, you know, that, that's how I see Scrappy. But I don't dislike the character. I thought he can, like, when I saw him be the villain in that first yes. live action movie, I was like, what? It's ridiculous. So that ruined your childhood, didn't it? No, well, no. <laughs> I just hate that phrase. No, there's there's other things that I could say ruined my childhood, but no, the Scrappy Scooby thing doesn't really. No, it would have been a better twist. Is it put Scooby Dumb as a villain. And he yeah, right. Like, I'm not so dumb after all, am I? Yeah, yeah. And he kicks Scrappy to the side. So, Aura, uh, I have some great news. Clone <laughs> High just got picked up for two seasons. On HBO Max, the show created by Chris Miller and Phil Lord from not only the Lego movie, but the first iteration of the solo feature film and Bill Lawrence from Scrubs. Now, I don't know if you've seen this Uh, on MTV. This was a fantastic show. All right. So I got a question. Okay. Kennedy, um, JFK, Cleopatra. Correct. Abe Lincoln. Yep. Gandhi on the end, right? Well, let's get into that. Okay. So So I have a question about... But the other girl who she, I don't know, who, Joan of Arc? Joan of Arc, yes. Oh, I thought she was just some goth girl or something. Well, she is. Well, but it's Joan of Arc. Back in the 90s, she was a goth girl. Oh, okay. So they kind of Joan put of in Arc. Like, okay. So what's the deal with 
is it is it Gandhi or no? All right. So when this was shown on MTV, every Gandhi follower or Buddha or whatever religion, I don't mean to insult anyone, they took it as a great offense okay. that they cloned Gandhi. And let's face it, in the show, Gandhi had ADD. He had, you know, real teenage issues. So now, from what I understand, they're going to uh, wreck on it. And he's going to be the clone of Gary Coleman from Different Strokes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that yet. I mean, look, I don't want to offend anybody. I have no problem with it. If they want to call him Gary Coleman, that's great. Okay. They had Gary Coleman in uh, Avenue Q. So. Yeah. And he even had his own animated series. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So that doesn't bother me. I am very happy to see Clone High coming back because it did end on a cliffhanger at the prom. So this was a great show. I highly suggest going back. It's on iTunes right now. So do yourself a favor, Wesley. Watch this show. And if you are a Clone High fan, you would have gotten that reference. <laughs> so Mezco is coming out with a Mike Myers figure from, from their from Saturday Night Live. From their MDS figure or MDS series. So this mega scale figure, or sound. let's just call it a doll. I'm sorry, but it's a doll. It looks like... Uh, it's uh, Mike Myers uh, from Halloween 2. Yeah. It uh, comes with six phrases, 11 points of articulation, and a butcher knife. All for the low, low price of $98. What free? He doesn't speak, though. So there's somebody else saying it. Like, Michael Myers never talks. If I have my horror movie knowledge correct. He comes right? with six phrases. I would like to see... Um, something from Halloween three season of the witch with the silver shamrock, um, those three masks, you know, and they had that song like three more days to Halloween. You know what? Who NECA did something similar. Yeah. I, that That's, that's the way to go. Cause he looks, this makes me think I look at this and I'm looking, I think I'm looking at it, a baby in a diaper with the Michael Myers mask on. I, I don't really go for like, I don't really like these like doll type toys. You got to be a hardcore fan, I guess. To, yeah, you to, to, to appreciate it and to buy it. If you're like, you know, anything Halloween, this is going to, this is, you know, you're a completist. This is what you're going to get. Exactly. And then Mesco Toys also announced this month will be Mesco's Toy Fair. Since we don't have an official one, they'll be releasing, you know, pictures and stuff to come throughout the year. It will take place February 20th through the 22nd. And let's face it, um, I'm really hyped up to see what they have for the 112 collection. So also Hasbro is making... No, go on. Oh, Hasbro is making an animated version of the board game Clue. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I thought... That's all right. I, my, sorry, my folks. I'm still new with this. So if you remember correctly, um, there's a great movie from the live action version from 1985. Um, had a great cast, and Tim Curry literally stole that movie. Um, kind of interested to see what this animated version would be like. Um, and there was also a comic book from IDW a while ago. Really? Yeah, I, I never read it, but I remember them uh, looking on the IDW website, and they made a comic. I don't know how it played out, but um, that that was something they did. So I mean, the movie was so good. Oh, the movie's, the movie's excellent. I love that movie. I mean, you had your cast. You had... Um, Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White, Christopher Lloyd as Professor Plum, Michael McKeon as Mr. Green, Martin Mull as Colonel Mustard, uh, Leslie Ann Warren 
as Miss Scarlet and Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock. And again, while they're all great, even the ending, it was like a choose your own three adventure. Endings. Yeah, there's yeah. three different endings, and Tim Curry stole that movie with all the dialogue he has to do. You know, oh yeah, just just so many lines that you can quote from that movie, and he was just brilliant in it. So the, I kind of feel like they have a tough thing to go up against, but I could be wrong. But you know, I don't think I am. Well, the bar is high. Let's just oh, it's, leave it's it at bar. that. The bar is very high. It's like um, pole, what was that pole vaulting? That's how high the bar is. Right? I mean, I, I guess this is Hasbro's way of introducing a new a generation. Generation, yeah, yeah. They just want to sell games, you know. Sure. But hey, I'm all for you know animators getting work. Yeah, I'm all, anything that keeps the, the economy going and um gives me something to look at. That's good for everybody. So also a um, very interesting thing, Ty. I wanted to get into. Now I can do this. Now you can do this. So okay. uh, are we on the same page here with what I'm about to talk about? I hope so, right? Star Wars and their sales? Yes. So last Monday, Hasbro came out that Star Wars toy sales in 2020 were up 70% despite there not being a new movie. And this is really interesting to me because at the moment we have The Mandalorian and everybody's a fan of it. We love it. Hasbro also said... Their overall licensed content. So I guess this means pretty much everything else Hasbro licenses. Their sales fell 12% in 2020, Tom, to a measly $1.08 billion. Oh, is that all? Uh, um, I'd be crushed. But Star Wars itself was up by 70%. And this is this is what I, I get at. Because this is when I read this and I talked to you about it, I was really interested because. We're in a Star Wars less movie world right now, for good or, or not. I don't know. This is the reason right here. This is the way. But it goes to more than that. Is it the cute factor? Because yeah, he's adorable. And I wanna I just want to pinch his fat little green cheeks. But at the end of the day, are people buying it because the Mandalorian is such a well-written show? Um, is it is it because it's making people feel like old school Star Wars? When the prequels came out in the first prequel, there was so much merchandise. And there was so much left over in the end. I'm sure they took a beating on it. And when you when you when you think about merchandising, first think about how Lucas was wise enough, um, and, and probably didn't even know it at the time to have all the rights to merchandising because that's really he really made his money. And even in um, Batman '89, Jack Nicholson made sure to get a points from the merchandising, which made him even more money. Well, of course, that's where all the real money is. I mean, but. The thing there, is, who is um? I'm blanking out. He directed uh, Batman '89 and Beetlejuice. Tim Burton, right? He went into a board meeting and said, "Well, we need to sell such and such figures, so you need to adapt your movie to this vision." Well, how crazy is that? Well, that's not actually crazy at all because when you look what Disney did to the Rocketeer, they see it as okay. This is our big summer movie. And we're going to make a ton of merchandise off of it and make money off of the merchandise. They're not even in it for the movie. Not in it for the legacy of what this character represented. And it was more about the merchandise. And the movie didn't perform to our expectations, but it performed well. It made back its budget. But they were like, no, pack it up. They took all the merchandise, shipped it out west, dollar stores and whatnot. And... You know, like they studios seem to think that it's the merchandise that makes the movie, but I think it's in the other case, it's the movie that makes the merchandise. But in order for the movie to do so, you have to have a movie that somebody's going to latch on to. You need to have a good story. You need to have something that the, the 
the audience invests in. Because if I'm looking at two hours of garbage, I'm not invested in it, and I'm not investing my money in a toy line either. Exactly. And I, I, I think that's the that's what happened with this, is that people. Um, Let me ask you this now. All right, so you have a movie. You're going to have a toy line with it. Now, do you think the geniuses that are producing said toy line are going to somehow hurt the movie? I don't think there's anything wrong with making a toy line for a movie. Right, but if the focus is solely directed onto the toy line. Well, let's put it this. So before Star Wars, movies didn't make much merchandise. Jaws was one of the first summer blockbusters, and they had some merchandise. When Star Wars came along and he was talking to Fox, Lucas was like, you know, all right, what about the toys? And really was unheard of at the time. And they're like, yeah, go ahead, George. Take your merchandise rights. You know, no, he, nobody expected it to blow up the way it did, the movie or the toys. But ever since then, but what I I'm saying they is, want that. What, right. But what I'm saying is there is so much focus on the toy line. Does it hurt the movie? Like, let's say there is this incredible idea that the filmmakers want to do, but the toy manufacturers are like, no, because kids might not associate with it, or mom and pop might be scared of it. You know, does that hurt a movie? I think what hurts the movie, I think I might have an answer. I think what hurts the movie, franchise has been out for so long, and the toy sellers say, for instance, the last two live-action turtle movies, the turtles look so different. And they were like, we need something different to sell. So make the turtles look different. And I think when you're going around making changes to your script or putting in stupid, silly, goofy gadgets uh, in order to sell them, that's where you're going to hurt a movie based off of trying to make toy sales. And I've never done any research on this, but I think that kind of make I think it makes sense. At least to me, it does. Right. You know, like, That's what I was getting at. So yeah. you were you are saying so the toy people are actually possibly hurting a movie. Sometimes I, I could be I a lot bigger. No matter what, they're gonna try to make toys off of anything, uh especially nowadays. But I mean, I, which is which is good because if you really love something or something really appeals to you, you know, you on screen, yeah, yeah, you want some you want a, a, a memento or memorabilia from it. And and honestly, it's hard to tell. What, what toy line or film would be successful? You, you can't predict it. Nobody knew about Star Wars. Yeah, but even even like not so successful movies that have a toy line. I mean, people love people love everything. Well, you know, it's the amount of people that love it that determine whether or not it's a success or not. That's a good point because like Raiders, The Lost Ark, love the movie, excellent movie, and the toy line, you know. Indiana Jones toy lines, when you think about it, you had Kenner's Raiders. I guess it did so sell. You had LJN's Temple of Doom, which really never appeared. Nothing for Last Crusade in the States. And then mm-hmm. with the fourth disaster, there was toys for that, but I, I believe they over overreached on that one. But, I mean, I, I have been known to make mistakes from time to time. So That's all I got. Great point. Great insight. Thank you. So I want to thank once again Chris Fawcett for being on the show. Rad Plastic is the book. Head over to his website. Order your copy today if you love turtles. I mean, look how great this stuff is. Like he's he even has parts of the mechanisms that went into the playmate figures. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, this is awesome. This is a, a great collector's item for any turtles fan. 
So I want to say a thank you to Brian Salvatore for our intro and outro music. Collector, hashtag collectors helping collectors. If you're looking for something, let's beat the bots. Let's beat the scalpers. Log on or find them on Twitter. Collectors helping collectors. Thank you to Scott Nylick over at Spectre Creative. He's helping us grow this, this little show we have. So thank you, Scott. We are now on YouTube. So you can find us on Toylight's podcast. Please subscribe, hit that bell, and especially tell a friend if they love toys. Join the conversation at toyspodcast at gmail.com. We are on Apple, iHeart, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Please subscribe, give us a rating, or do both. Please enjoy our newest podcasts, Rocketeer Radio, hosted by our own Rocketeer expert, Ian Westoff. Thank you. It's a great show. Oh, if you love you. the Rocketeer, this is the show for you. I get to see or hear any better shows. Oh. And then, you know, I have a side project. I'm doing my little yes, yes. People, people of Eternia. Eternia. Um, if there's anybody who loves He-Man more than Tommy, they don't exist. So this is... I don't know. That's this debatable. Is, this is Tommy's like, this is your heart and soul. This is your passion right here. So, it is. Folks, um... I know like he has told me a lot of the things that he's doing and uh, he really wants to get that history that couldn't make it into documentaries or books. He wants that stuff. He wants to collect that story. Um, so you're a He-Man fan. You're a toy fan. Thank you. Uh, just listen to it. You're, you're going to, he has great interviews. So, and along that lines, I'm just going to throw out this hint of a special guest that's coming. Oh, I don't know who that is. What is that? I, it so, somebody made a book. Uh, can you do that again? Did, did, I, did I blink and miss it? Maybe. I, I don't know. It who, oh, that, who is okay, this okay. I got it. I know it's not Val Stables. <laughs> so for all the latest toy reviews, please log on to www.toy-lines.com. If you like what you see here and are inclined to do so, please support us. Get our Toy Lines t-shirt. And for you Rocketeer fans, there's also a Rocketeer t-shirt as well. So you can log on to teespring.com slash toylines, no hyphen, slash store, slash, uh, store hyphen two. I don't know why we're trying to shorten it. Follow us on all the social media platforms at Twitter and Instagram at toylines. And Facebook, you can find us on two names, Toy Shelf Magazine or Toy Lines. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Please continue to come back every week. We really appreciate it. I'm Tom Romero. Me and Westoff. Thank you to Chris Fawcett. Play with your toys! Did you watch the X-Men cartoon as a kid? Did you buy Spider-Man number one the day it came out? Did you collect superhero trading cards and action figures? Then have we got the podcast for you. That's right, it's Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The exciting show where Adam, that's me. And Michael, that's me. We'll take you through the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine, one issue at a time. We have so much fun reliving that crazy time of chromium covers and speculative comic book buying. 
Plus, we get to see where this whole hubbub about superhero movies really began. So we invite you to join us every other week on the Retro Network podcast feed. We can't wait to go back in time and uh, flip through those comic books you used to read. So we'll see you then. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. Hi, I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And together we host the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we debate who has the superior characters between Marvel and DC which we help prove through stat-based simulations of battles between your favorite Marvel and DC characters. We also review the latest Marvel and DC films to hit theaters. We'd love to have you come listen as we have a blast every Tuesday. Check out Dynamic Duel at dynamicduel.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.